0: No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic. Joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. And, and we have plenty to discuss this week. Several categories in the awards race that seem to be coming together, more or less. I have to tell you, I got a funny email from a filmmaker we know The other day who was basically like does anybody care about these awards this year i mean with everything going on in the world and theaters not really being a part of the equation and not a lot of events and all that stuff happening no film festivals in the traditional way i think they do because there's plenty to talk about what is your read on this
1: I was just working on one of the things I have to do, um, it seems like every single day is update the uh, best international feature film story, the predictions chart. And so I've got the I've got the as they come in, I add them. All the different countries are coming in. And I initially thought, you know, it's a pandemic. There's not going to be that many movies. There's a lot there's a huge number of movies and they're all submitting and you, you know, you're writing Suriname and Brazil and, you know, all the different countries around the world, North Macedonia, you know, it's, it's a, it's just a welcome reminder that filmmaking is continuing and these filmmakers want their film to get recognized and they're going through the process of, you know, Russia has Konchalovsky, and and yes, Denmark did nominate another round and you know, the, the Mads Mikkelsen. I want to put in a bid for him for best actor.
0: It's certainly something that, that is worth talking about. I wonder how much I guess there's two different things here. One is the industry investment in the Oscars on all these different levels. I mean, a lot of the movies that you're talking about are released by smaller companies that really uh, an Oscar nomination or even being on a shortlist could make a huge difference in the life cycle of these films. Well, and there's, there's two like things, wider audience, right? Like,
1: no, there's the question of the filmmaker getting some kind of additional recognition on the world yeah. stage. And then, you know, maybe being invited to a festival on another year or whatever, that whole process that goes on, but it's also the pride of the country. Right. And then you're right. There's an industry that ha- and more people are picking movies up. Uh, for example, um, uh, finally, remember we saw back in Berlin, Pinocchio,
0: yeah, it was actually much more exciting and, and fun than I expected. It to I
1: loved, it. Although I I loved have, it. I should have
0: known Matteo Garroni was not going to make a, a, you know, a kind of traditional kids movie. It's it beautifully
1: was, made and it's not yeah. a traditional family film it. at all. It's an art film, God forbid, yeah. which makes it a tweener. So Roadside finally picked it up. So we're going to see it here. It's a, a very waiting for that shoot and, and drop.
0: Movie. I'm glad that it's coming out however it does because there's a there's also the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio animated movie he's been working on for a while. And those two don't, they shouldn't come out on top of each other because, I mean, I haven't seen the del Toro one. But it just seems like a very different movie and yet will probably also be darker and, you know, its own kind of a thing in a way. And, uh, and this movie is, I remember talking to people in Berlin who were sort of like, I don't know how you release this movie because it's kind of a kid's story but it's not a kid's movie. It actually has some really disturbing images in it. But once people yes. see it, I think it'll have a life. I mean, it's almost like a Tim Burton movie back when he made good movies, you know.
1: That's a good comparison. I couldn't agree more. It's visually really stunning. Um, and there's all kinds of weird, um, you know, people playing animals and lots of weird old fashioned sort of whisker makeup. And, you know, it's 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 got a lot of, of inventive fun, old school kind of Fellini-esque. Uh, enjoyment too. I
0: wonder. Do you think that this is a movie that, beyond its, if if Italy submits it, then of course it it, it could get nominated, but. For, for other categories, let's say for makeup or, or um, special effects, would it My have-
1: instinct on this is, w- w- this is one of those cases where you and I were querying uh, distributors in Berlin. I remember we were asking- Our last uh, time out in the field. IFC, yeah, we were asking them. And and I remember Ariana Baco. I remember, I'm, and you know, that everybody was very cautious about this movie because they recognized that its commerciality was, was outside the, the lines of what's conventional. In in other words, it's probably not commercial <laughs> because it's not a family movie and it's not an art film. It's somewhere in the middle.
0: But what's so, commercial now? The world has, has been turned upside down. So I'm
1: down. curious to see, God knows, I'm curious to see what Italy does now. Um, France finally picked, by the way. Did you notice that? They picked um, the movie about the two lesbians living together, the two of us, I think it's called.
0: Right. Um, I haven't seen that. It was sort of buried on the festival circuit.
1: Yeah. Uh, so that, that was the French pick. I was surprised by that. And, um, and then uh, there's a whole, we talked about this. There's a whole group of films that are documentaries that are being submitted. So one of them for Italy could be uh, Naturno, the Francis, the, the Gianfranco Rossi, and, which is wonderful. But um, my guess is they're going to go with the life ahead. The, the Sophia Loren film.
0: That seems like the safe bet. I mean, why what, don't what doesn't Truffle Hunters get a word in here or is that not a <laughs> Italian enough? I, Guadagnino is a Nino is a producer.
1: <laughs> I love the Truffle Hunters and that's a strong documentary contender. Uh, so so there's some so they're double dipping. And they're following Honeyland last year, the Macedonian entry, which was the first film to be nominated for both documentary and uh, international feature. So now there are several countries: Brazil, Venezuela, um, uh, Romania, that are submitting documentaries. Why the hell
0: not? Because some of these movies, I mean, Honeyland was it was a fascinating example of why this approach made sense and it played out, you know, as they expected it to and it made history by getting into both of those categories. Because when you watch it, yes, you're cognizant of watching a documentary, but it also, it resonates in a way that goes beyond kind of the constraints of documentary form. Like it feels like a narrative, a character study. Collective, which is Romania's submission for documentary and for, uh, for international film, is a great example of that because it feels, it's like spotlight or something. These journalists rushing around to- report. I
1: love Collective. It, Collective really moved me and shocked me actually. Oh,
0: it's, cho- it's so shocking. As and
1: horrifying way- as our situation is in this country with all the denial of COVID and all the bad health system problems that we have, theirs is corrupt, yeah, completely and have, corrupt.
0: Well, when we had this terrible election outcome in 2016, they had a terrible one in 2017 this movie tracks the moments leading up to that, both with the reporters who are trying to, who are uncovering all this corruption in the government and an actual good person in the government trying to make a difference from the inside and, and not- it comes winning.
1: off like a total naive, unfortunately. Yeah, but I, you
0: know, I revisited the movie this week and what I think is so striking about it is that there's outside of the first couple seconds, there's no explanatory text it's the whole time. Like, no, that's hard, hard to do, very hard to do. And so it almost feels like a scripted narrative. So that I think that's such an incredible accomplishment when you think about it, especially because they captured so much material. I mean, it's an incredibly dense story. Like,
1: but it's also cool. very moving, um, it, yeah. you know, just as the fight is very moving in the sense that, you know, the ACLU actually goes ahead and fights these cases and wins some of them. And there's actual a way that you can bring what's terrible to light. In this case, uh, the the journalists do it and and make an enormous difference. And it's very moving uh, that they are so dogged and so determined to go up against the government and against all of this false information that is causing people to die. So it has a lot of resonance with what's going on in our country right now. And
0: then the, the more recent update, we knew that that, that Romania was going to make this its official submission for some time. This week, we found out about Mole Agent, which to me was a revelation at Sundance back in January, this Chilean documentary about an, an, an elderly guy who's basically the mole who, who has to infiltrate an old folks home to figure out if this woman is stealing stuff. And uh, it just, it plays like this great spy movie and then kind of morphs into something more touching and sort of bittersweet that- um, It's,
1: it's so. a, it's, it, it has, it brooks some comparisons to the Truffle Hunters too, partly because it's also about older people who have experience and knowledge and we're gonna be losing a lot of that one day. That's what made me so moved by the Truffle Hunters.
0: Yeah, truffle Hunters is is, is certainly is it's moving in, in a way that um, you know it sort of gradually creeps up on you. Mole agent is is sort of fascinating because it to me what was it fascinating about it was that it, it seems sort of when you watch it, and I don't want to spoil anything for people; they should see it. But when you first start watching it, it it really does feel like a scripted narrative. It's like a detective movie, and there's kind of this cheesy score and stuff, but then as it continues to go along, you realize you are watching a documentary and there's an authenticity to the story that it's telling. And I think it's really, it'll be cool to have these kinds of movies in the conversation this season, because it's just very different from talking about say, a more traditional kind of documentary expose or something like that. So I wonder how the the campaigning will go for films like- Well, one of
1: the points I was making in this piece was about, you know, if you have, In the case where you have dual entries, it just gives you all that much more opportunity to build uh, a sort of uh, support base uh, within the Academy and get a lot of attention and get media attention so that people keep telling each other, hey, you got to see this. You got to see this movie, which is more important than ever this year. I mean, the whole process of how the Academy communicates with each other, you know, there's no party circuit, there's no uh, wining and dining, everybody's at home watching on the computer and uh, uh, complaining about whether they've got HBO Max or not, (laughs) you know, it's just not the same. Uh, anymore, yeah. so it's going to be interesting. But I'm moved. I'm moved by the fact that these movies are continuing to, you know, knock Doc NYC was happening. You reviewed a bunch of movies from there. I mean, there's even more new movies that we haven't seen yet. And People watch um,
0: Doc NYC, yeah. yeah. The, the the shortlist has is out there. So all these movies we're talking about can be watched in you know all fifty states in Puerto Rico. I mean, that's a pretty. Or how
1: much longer? I I think think there's there's a a deadline.
0: There there is. There's a cutoff. I
1: think it's soon. I think it's like today or tomorrow. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. And I'll be curious to know. Hopefully they give us some numbers. I mean, the the ones from New York Film Festival were were encouraging. But I think it is it's a different kind of dynamic to have the festival circuit playing a role in the life of these movies uh, in award season as a national event kind of a thing. Nice.
1: When are we going to find out about Sundance, Eric?
0: It's a good question. I mean as, as we're recording we're putting the finishing touches on our annual wish list where we gather up a whole bunch of possibilities and uh, it seems likely that we will know on the same timeline that we usually do around I mean, Thanksgiving uh, though, you know, isn't it? Filmmakers are hearing back. Yeah. Uh, movies are going to the festival. Now what we what we don't know is exactly what they stand to gain from being in the festival this year. I mean you could say, well, be, just being selected by Sundance puts you on the map, means that if you're an acquisition title, you know, buyers are going to be looking at you and so forth. But, you know, outside of the driving kinds of things, Sundance is best thought of, I think at this point, it's going, as being a virtual affair. And, and we know that, mo- you know, when we go to Sundance, the way we experience it is goes much beyond the screening rooms. So not so, having that is going to be a big deal.
1: So I do think, though, that those of us who are lucky enough to get the good passes are going to be able to see things all at once at one time, like it's the Eccles, the first screening. In other words, it'll be a group of people who are equivalent to the people who would have been at the Eccles watching it at the same time.
0: They seem to have a pretty smart rollout strategy in terms of how things are going to be timed. And how a mixture of industry and press will have the access as well as, you know, general ticket buyers and so forth. So I guess on some level, what we might be seeing is the migration of Sundance Buzz into a fully online presence for the first time. Because if you think about it, most of the country experiences Sundance Buzz through social media. That's been a trend. And in-
1: that will continue. Yes. Yeah, right. so and
0: that's going to be the whole shebang now. Exactly. Instead of the standing ovation or whatever, you're just going to get a flurry of tweets, maybe a, uh, maybe more than you normally would because th- there may be more press. There certainly will but be- But we'll
1: have to... access to the Q and A's and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting so I, to see how it, it plays will out.
0: Work. it will work. It will have a distinctive identity starting off the year and starting off the festival circuit. And most importantly, Sundance will have happened in whatever form it takes. To me, that seems like a more viable solution if you can get away with it than not doing anything at all or postponing or whatever. And 2021 is going to be this fascinating sort of constant uncertainty. And we talked about this before, it can still has, they have three different possible dates that they could happen. So it's but the uh, But
1: the, sun, the role of Sundance has, it's, it has, it's the talent discovery, it's, it's the review and the acquisitions process. You know, it's, it's, it's people like casting agents and producers and development executives. It's a, a, There's a whole range of things going on at the same time and it will still function that way.
0: Do you have any sense of how or if as we speculated earlier awards titles could launch at Sundance this year because that was something that I think people were really curious about as soon as Oscars moved their date. uh, All right. So what we're
1: looking at right now, which is sort of interesting is the fact that the theaters are in such terrible shape right now that, all right. So you and the uh, critics groups are sticking with, uh, you know the usual calendar for eligibility number
0: 18th is the vote
1: so you're gonna i'm fascinated to see i mean some of the films have been debuting at festivals a movie like Land or or ammonite or whatever you know those have been shown but what about the ones that haven't um yet and and i i you know something like um United States versus Billie Holiday, for example, or news of the world. I mean, they're gonna to have to get those screened for you.
0: I know that they're, I mean, I don't have the all the intel the way I did when I was the, the chair of New York Film Critics Circle and all, all power to Stephanie Zaharik, having you know sort of inhabiting that role in such a weird year because the studios come to you and they want to know what what are your deadlines what are our options and they're obviously doing that now so I'll be curious to see how things settle with something like news of the world do they need the critics groups I mean we haven't seen the movie we don't know if it's something they do I'm pretty
1: sure that's one where they're they're sticking with it and uh, because they need it and and I, I think that Basically, Tom Broggeman's been doing some work on this too. Uh, Basically, there's going to be uh, some movies that qualify. They qualify because they want to be part of the critics group conversation. You know that
0: Nomadland wants that.
1: I do think that um, uh, there's going to be some, you know, the the Daniel Kaluuya movie, for example, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, There hasn't been any noise around that. But I, I can't help but thinking that some of these late breaking movies may end up at Sundance.
0: Right. Well, they put that trailer out and the trailer did great. And then they just sort of you know seem to be playing the waiting game to evaluate their options on that front, which is fine. I mean, that I mean, the critics groups, I think, are eager to vote because, you know, we've already talked about a ton of great movies on this podcast. There have been a ton of great movies. We could vote tomorrow and I would love to see the outcome. But. Sure. If they want to put a few more things in our docket, that's great. What will Sundance do at the very last moment? I think that's another kind of question because it seems like with Sundance, it's like that's just a big platform for something that you want to get out really quickly at that point. I'm also curious to see when Soul reenters the conversation since we talked about that quite a bit a few weeks ago. But a lot of people over here still haven't had a chance to see it. And, you know, you can't do a
1: They're big... going to make that available for you.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I have to assume.
1: And Wonder yeah. Woman, now we know. December 25th, all over the world, on demand. I mean, not on demand. It really needs the critics. On Wonder HBO Man. Max, and, which is it. subscribers. Yeah, the critics don't matter. <laughs> uh, but you, well, guys, uh, you, never you know. guys can review it in time for... Uh, HBO Max and theaters. I think they did the right thing. I actually do. I, I don't think they're screwing the theaters. I think they're recognizing that there's an enormous audience that won't go to the theaters and shouldn't go to the theaters if they're afraid of their health. You know?
0: Yeah. And and honestly, holding on to a movie like that for another what two months, three months, more. months more? Yeah. It's like it just doesn't. I mean, look at what's happened to Black Widow. The entire Marvel Enterprise at this point is sort of this question mark of how the rollout will continue there. And with these movies, I mean, it's like everybody wants to see Wonder Woman. The rest of the DC stuff, we don't really know. They may as well just get it out there because they know people are going to eat it up. And it, it's know, just
1: fascinating it looking at all the rules of the, of the, win, you know, Tenet is still following some old, you know, school uh, windows uh, model and, you know, uh, Wonder Woman is just breaking every rule, you know, completely and the theaters are going along with it and the theaters are now just going to have to run, ride the, the Bronco. They have no choice. Got
0: well, should we talk about Ma Rainey's black bottom?
1: Because
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, Sauntering its way onto Netflix soon enough. I really enjoyed it for for what it is. I mean, it's an it's the August Wilson play. It's very performance driven. I think as 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 definitely. Um, It doesn't necessarily go beyond those constraints for the most part. Outside of I think a a few tweaks, the the way it's bookended, the ending of the very end of the film, I thought was an effective add on. But I mean, Viola and Chadwick seem to really
1: um, dominate. And and if you think about the way that the drama is set up, she's the old school uh, Southern 10th circuit blues singer who's come up to Chicago uh to to make money and and make her name she's a big star and she's sort of hanging on to her to her stardom as she gets older and and she she doesn't let anyone get away with anything and it's just a wonderful character that viola is playing with a lot of anger in her and then chadwick Bozeman is the young upstart uh trumpeter cornet player who, who wants to wants- take over He wants his own band and he wants his own um, freedom. He doesn't want to do it her way. He's young and he's excited and he wants to get her girl too, right? Right, played by
0: Taylor Page, who was the star of Zola. She's adorable.
1: She's adorable. I thought she was sort
0: of underutilized, but honestly that character in the original play is sort of underdeveloped, so, you
1: know. It was fine. And then you've got all the guys, the band members sort of stuck. So then you have, when you get all the men in the room, talking August Wilson talk, yeah. it's very theatrical. It's you do have to make an adjustment. You have to go, okay, these are the rhythms of a play and yep. and, and just go with it. But Chadwick really runs with it and he's in force, opposed uh, to her and she runs with it and they collide and it works really well, actually. I, I so, was very moved by it.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that char- the Chadwick character is fascinating too because he's sort of, you know he's he's not exactly you know the the hero of the story. i mean he's 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 a very flawed person and and the way that he behaves is is actually more self-destructive than he realizes. And I think that that aspect of it is what makes it such a tricky kind of performance to navigate. I'm fascinated to see how people talk about it because yes, it pro I, I guess it's the the best movie role he's had, not just this you know great posthumous turn, but Really the best thing he's done closer to what he didn't get on up than you know, say Black Panther, which was a more subdued kind of internalized uh, movie hero kind of role. So I think that's what's going to be surprising to people is just seeing him so different from what made him so famous. And uh, the,
1: the recognition that this is his last role and the narrative of that, the the narrative of, of what he was dealing with while he was performing, and nobody uh, knew and no one knew. Um
0: and, you, and,
1: and and there's this one moment in the movie where you know the cynical Oscar prognosticator person you know, recognizes, oh, that's the money scene, you there know. There might be a
0: fear involved. You
1: kind of, but, but what, what it is, is an extraordinary piece of acting. And in the moment, at the time that they were doing it, he hesitated. And Coleman Domingo, who was in the scene opposite him, recognizing it was going really well and that there was something going on, goaded him to, to come out with it and say what he was feeling. And he went. And exploded, and that's the scene. That's the that's the extraordinary moment in the movie that shows us something that we never saw before in Chadwick Boseman.
0: And then you have Viola, who obviously won an Oscar the last time she did August Wilson on the screen, Fences. So, what she went supporting
1: that- for that, and okay. uh, after winning Best Actress Tony on Broadway, yeah. so she's. What happens th- here? I mean, she's she's totally. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking Chadwick Boseman will win. That, that narrative is undeniable and it'll happen. Can't
0: beat, can't be beaten.
1: Even Anthony Hopkins this year, it can't, I don't think he can beat him. We'll see how it plays out. Um, she gets nominated for sure for best actress, and and uh, we'll see. I mean, I think Frances McDormand is very strong too. They both won, they've That's both the won. Problem. Yeah. And
0: also, well, you could argue that Viola is not really the main. She is the centerpiece. She certainly a, a, has a- And she's the
1: title piece. character.
0: She's the title character, but she's not in a lot of the movie. I mean, she's- She's a, the she center
1: in. of the movie in yeah. the sense that they're all surrounding her. But but the men in the room are the other part. There's there's two movies going on.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. But, I, but what I'm saying is if you put her for supporting the way she did with fences- You can't do it. You won't get
1: away with
0: it <laughs> people wouldn't like to see that no. no nor would would any of us like to talk about who's better uh viola davis or the surprise star of borat subsequent movie film in, in that category so um next week it'll be an interesting moment for us because we'll be heading we'll be heading into thanksgiving which normally would be sort of our moment to look at, you know, whatever big movie is opening, then there isn't really one. So I guess we'll have to just uh, come up with some other things to talk about, but we have a lot to be thankful for. So I'll start writing my list. You start writing yours and I'll see you then.
1: See you then, Eric. Thanks.
0: Step into the world of power, loyalty,